119. Psalm 119. And we want to read verses 25 through 32. Psalm 119, verses 25 through 32. Word of the Lord. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to thy word. I have told of my ways, and thou hast answered me. Teach me thy statutes. Make me understand the way of thy precepts, so I will meditate on thy wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to thy word. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me thy law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed thine ordinances before me. I cleave to thy testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of thy commandments, for thou wilt enlarge my heart. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. From that small pericope of passages, I want to talk about thank God for help through the word. Thank God for help through the word. We may quickly conclude that it would be a privilege we would highly enjoy to be able to live life out in the posture of forever in full strength no weakness ever detected in the journey. In fact, can you imagine life without pain, without stress, without worry or concern, without question, without sickness, without disappointments, without discouragement, without any trace of trouble or weakness at all, only to leisurely conclude with a happy death where the body clearly resembles the reflection of strength and perfection. Of course, we know such a conclusion is only wishful thinking. It's a fantasy at best, because although reflections or fragments of those previously mentioned happenings are just that, we live a life often mixed with good and bad, happiness and sadness, joy and pain, peace and chaos. We must concur that there is a splash of truth in the classic song by Walter Hawkins, Be Grateful. God has not promised me nor you sunshine. That's not the way it's going to be, but a little rain mixed with God's sunshine. A little pain makes me appreciate the good times, be grateful. But then he goes on to say, God desires to feel your longings. Every pain that you feel, he feels them just like you do. But he had to die to make you feel only good. Then you can appreciate the good times. Be grateful because there's someone else 
who's worse off than you. Be grateful because there's someone else who would love to be in your shoes. Every now and then you might want to just listen to that song so that it can awaken your appreciation and your celebration and strength about where you may find yourself in life regardless of how it may appear. The psalmist of Psalm 119 did not have access to Walter Hawkins' singers, but you can read the text and discover that he's definitely crying out from a moment where strength has eluded his grasp. The rain is beginning to overtake and overshadow his sunshine, and he hopes actually that no one wants to be in his shoes. He is crying out from the crucible of affliction. He is encountering difficulty in his private life. He is struggling and trying to find out how do you be grateful in the condition that he finds himself in. Maybe he is a better reflection of what the writer of Proverbs 24:16 depicts, that a righteous man falls down seven times, but he rises again. And I say that because when you read the entire 176 verses in this song, you'll realize that this section of the hymn just reflects this one of many episodes of the crucible affliction for even in the verse of 176, the very last verse of the song, he tells us that he has not, he has yet again hit rock bottom or has experienced another rough patch in his journey. In fact, he describes it this way, Psalm 119, verse 176, I have wandered away like a lost sheep. He cries out to God, come and find me where I am. But notice, he says, I've not forgotten your word. And when you go back to verse 1, you'll definitely notice that he has confidence in the word of God. He understands what prayer and meditation can do in the word as you exercise it in your life. In fact, he would argue that it is prayer and meditation on the word of God that has brought about the level of confidence in God's word that he currently praises God for. Look what he says in the text. Follow me closely. He says in this psalm, beginning in verse 4 and 9, he highlights that through my experience with God, it only comes about because I have examined the word of God. I've examined the word of God. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He says that thou has ordained thy precepts that we should keep them diligently. And then listen to what he raises in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping, answering his own question, by keeping it according to thy word? Now notice, if you look deeply in the text, he will use several different words to describe the word of God. Verse 1, he calls it the law of God. Verse 2, he calls it the statues of God. Verse 4, he calls it the precepts of God. Verse 6, he calls it the commands of God. 
Verse 7, he calls it the ordinances and the judgments of God. And then in verse 9 through 11, he calls it the word of God. All of them simply say, I only understand these diverse elements about God's word because I have taken the time to examine the word of God. Every time I hit a rough patch, says this psalmist, I found help through the word of God. And maybe he's trying to tell us this morning, no matter where you find yourself, your greatest help will come through the word of God if you are willing to examine the word of God. In other words, it just can't be the book that occupies a space on your furniture. It can't just be a thought in your mind that I'm going to read it. It just can't be something on your list that you never check off. He argues you have to examine the word of God with diligence in order to realize how God will be your help in the time of trouble. But not only that, notice what he says. He examined the word of God. But look at verse 11. He engaged the word of God. Verse 11 says, thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not go astray, that I might not sin against you, that I might not take for granted the goodness of who you are. He engages the word because the psalmist realized reading for information is not enough. You have to transition from information to application in order to witness the manifestation of God's divine revelation. So if I merely just read the word, that's all I'm really doing is attaining information. But I got to find a way to apply in my daily living so I can see how God unveils the revelation that he's hidden in that divine word. Now it's called hidden because in order for me to find out what it is, I must first examine it. And in examine it, I realize there's something there so I have to engage it. And when I engage it, I'm moving it off of the page and I'm moving it into my life so that I can experience all that God has in the word that's meant for me to understand. So when I examine the word and when I engage the word, it causes me, look closely, to embrace the word. Look what he says in verse 12. He says in verse 11, I've hidden the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But in verse 12, he says, Lord, teach me your statues with my lips. I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimony as much as in all the riches that I see in you. Look at verse 16. I shall delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. He says I can't forget it because if I embrace it, it becomes a part of who I am. It's a part of my life. He really challenged himself, Lord, help me to restate the word as you have stated it. Help me to speak it like you speak it. Help me to speak with authority 
as you have given unto me, help me to embrace, weave. Here's the word. The Hebrew word for embrace means help me to weave this word in my soul that it becomes a part of my fabric. Make me, God, realize the importance of having you in me so that whenever the dark moments come, I will not run away in fear. I will not go and hide in isolation, but I will stand my ground and realize weaved in me is the God of my salvation and the peace that surpasses all understanding and joy that overcomes sorrow. And because I have embraced what God's word is in me, I shall celebrate in the testimonies of God. So if God made a way for Abraham, surely he will make a way for me. If God made a way for Isaac, surely he will make a way for me. If God opened the sea for Moses and Israel, surely he will open it up for me. If God can stand with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the most dying, trying moment, surely he will stand with me. Why? Because they embraced the word of God, and now I must embrace the word. But that's not all. Look what he says. I not only must allow myself to examine the word, I must engage the word, I must embrace the word, but I must forth extract from the word. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things that are housed in your word. Look at verse 20. My soul is crushed with longing after thy word all the time. Now here's what he's saying. There is something about when I read the word that something in me makes me want more of the word. Because when I start examining it and I start really taking the opportunity to not only embrace and to engage, but I start extracting from the word. I start recognizing that the stories on the page is not just limited to the character in the text, but I actually see my own experience in the story and I can put my name right there where I see the particular character in the text. Here's what he's arguing. There comes a moment when you begin to extract from the text, you begin to recognize that that text is yours, you take ownership of the text. He is saying that there comes a time when you find your favorite passage and every time you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, every time a storm arises in the midst of your life, every time you've got to experience the winds of adversity, every time you got to go under the physician's knife, every time you may be laced with sickness, there's a passage, there's a story in the Bible that gives you inspiration and gives you strength and you extract from that story the authority to be able to survive whatever it is you got to survive in other words he says find your voice in the story of the text recognize that you've got to have a hunger in order to see the divine truth that regulates and strengthens your life why because the word gives joy and comfort when you start to extract 
from the word of God. When you start to drink from its deep reservoir, when you start to eat from the table to which it provides, there is something nourishing about God's divine word. But watch this. Something changes in the life of this song. Something happened between verse 24 and verse 25. I don't know what happened, but something happened. Notice when you read verses 1 through 24, and read it for yourself at your time, you find this individual in this moment of celebration and joy and recognition of how powerful and life-changing the Word of God is. But then in verse 25, something has shifted. His shouts turn into sorrow. His praise turns into prayer. And his celebration turns into crying. All of the hype that we hear in verse 1 through 24 turns to a cry for help. And his dancing that appears that he has engaged and embraced from reading and experiencing the word of God turns into distress. And how do I know that? Look closely at the two signposts or the two indicators that gives us what happens in the psalmist's life. Look, if you will, in verse 25, clause A. Verse 25, clause A says, first signpost, my soul cleaves to the dust. Second signpost, verse 28, clause A, my soul weeps because of grief. Go back to verse 25, clause A. My soul, my soul cleaves to the dust. 28A, my soul weeps because of grief. The psalmist transitions and lets us know that something has occurred, but he says whenever it does occur, number one, don't be afraid to provide confession because it's good for your soul. Look what he says. My soul cleaves, Hebrew word, join, same word in Genesis chapter 2. Therefore shall a man cleave unto his wife and they become one. Here's what he's saying. My soul is at an all-time low now where I have cleaven unto the dust of the earth. He's saying, I'm bottom out. This is the worst that I've ever experienced. I'm in a deep, dark space. Life has dumped on me something that I never expected. And I am in a space where I'm not understanding why has the light eluded me. Is he by himself? Is there anybody who can testify that I understand where this man is that I have on many other occasions joined in my own spirit and cried out, my soul cleaves unto the dust of the earth. I have felt so low. I believe that my life has hit an all-time low and that there is absolutely no way, so it appears, that I'm ever going to get out of this dark moment. And if that's not enough, he says that my soul, in verse 28, my soul weeps. It cries out because of grief. 
And maybe there, there's a suggestion that death has occurred. Death of a loved one. Someone deeply close to him. So much so that the sorrow now is overtaking him soul, his soul, making him feel as if he will never come back from the space that he is in. Is he alone in feeling that way? Has anyone ever confessed that they are at a space where they felt like there was no return to where, from where they were, that they would never get back to a space? There is nothing wrong with admitting or confessing where you are. In fact, I will guarantee you, you will never get back up unless you confess I've fallen down. Listen to uh, Proverbs 24, verse 16, one more time. The righteous man falls seven times. Remember what I said earlier? That utopian life that we so desire is not possible. That's exactly what it is, a utopian life. But that writer in Proverbs says, though he falls seven times, he gets back up. He has to get back up, but in order to get back up, he must realize I've fallen down. Do you hear what I'm saying? I have fallen down or that my life was not where it was or that I am not the person that I used to be. I'm not going in the same direction that I once was and there is nothing wrong with confessing I've fallen short of the glory of God I've fallen short of my own expectation. I miss my goal desires. There's nothing wrong with confessing that. In fact, if I read 1 John 1 and 9 properly, John argues you can never experience the restoring grace of God nor the power that comes from repentance unless you're willing to confess. And listen to what John says. In that confession, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. In other words, John, coupled with what the psalmist says here, that my soul is in a dark place and that my soul is wrestling with grief, yet he says to us, don't be afraid to confess that you're not where you want to be. And if that's not enough, he give, again gives us a deeper insight into opening up his soul. He says not only is confession good for the soul, but he says you've got to have conviction even in the darkest moment of your journey. Look at verse 26. He says, I have told of my ways and thou has answered me. Don't miss that. He says, Lord, I have told you of what I have done. Now that might lead to another conclusion. Maybe his soul is in darkness because he has done something wrong that has continued to rob him of the joy that he had in walking in righteousness to God. Now, how do I derive that? Because when I read this line here in verse 26, he says, I have told you 
of my ways, God, and thou has answered me. In other words, my confession has led to an answered prayer. So he is contending that when you've got conviction, your conviction has to be anchored in that God does and will answer my prayer when I've gone astray. Here's what he's suggesting. So what? I understand and I'm not trying to minimize it, but so what you've done wrong and you've gotten off course with following after God. Okay, you realize it, you confess it, but is there a conviction in your soul that the same God who keeps you in the midst of being in his will will also rescue you when you walk out of his will. The same God, he says, who loves you while you are shouting is the same God who will love you when you're in the midst of sorrow. He is saying to us that you've got to have a conviction and that conviction is, I don't believe I serve a God who only loves me and only honors me and only blesses me when I'm just doing right. But I also believe that there's a God who loves me and who honors me and blesses me even when I get out of his will because he's working to draw me back into his divine will. Listen to what he says. He says, I cried out to God and God answered my cry. And how do I know he got conviction? Look at the next line, verse 26. He says in clause B, teach me your word. You should have shouted right there. Teach me your word, God, because now I know I got a conviction that when I get out of your will, the only thing that can bring me back into your will is the word of God. So, Lord, teach me your word. So that I'll not only see that you also answer prayer, but watch this, you answer prayer through the word. He says that God, when answering that prayer, will direct you back to a passage that anchors that God has answered the prayer and that God has forgiven whatever the difference may be and that God has restored what has been lost as a result of disobedience. Notice what the psalmist says. Again, he doesn't just want information, access to the word, but he wants insight, understand the word. He says, Lord, teach me your word. Look at verse 27. Make me understand the way of your word or precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. So here's what he's saying. He's saying when you read the word, when you recognize you got a conviction, notice he says, for example, when David goes awry from the will of God, he doesn't abandon the kingdom. He doesn't abandon his role as the king. He still stands as God's representative and he is still blessed of God, even though he suffers the consequence of disobedience. God still restores him. God still blesses him. His strength is in the will and power of God, and God helps him to overcome. And David even suggested unto us in Psalm 1, blessed is the man 
who meditates on the word of God day and night, for he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And this psalmist says, when I meditate on your word, God, you are teaching me more and more that I've got to have the word embraced, ingrained, weaved into my soul so that whenever I start going astray, there's a warning sign that goes off in my soul that lets me know that God is not going to be pleased and it drives me back into being obedient to God because I got a conviction that God's word will restore me when I get out of God's will. Y'all ain't shout, but that's good preaching right there. But watch this. Whatever has gotten his life into the state that it is, he realizes that something is wrong. Confession. He also recognizes that in order to make a transition, he's got to move from that confection to conviction. That's when he recognizes, Lord, I need you and I need the word because that's the only thing that's going to rescue me. But watch something interesting in his journey. He realizes in verse 28 and 29 that something is still wrong. His convictions help unveil that his trying to handle his distress is contrary because God has his way and this psalmist says I have my way and the problem is my way is less effective than God's way look at what he says in verse 29 clause 8 remove from me God remove from me the false way that I've taken be gracious and grant me your word he third recognized there's a contradiction in my life. And the contradiction is, I'm trying to solve my problem my way. And God is saying, your way is too short to enable you to get out of where you are. My way is just right because I've designed it to be as it is such. How do I know that? Well, remember that little story in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, where Simon Peter and the fishermen have fished and have fished all night. And because they have become frustrated of catching nothing, they come back to shore and Jesus meets them on shore. And Jesus begins to converse. And Jesus tells Simon, cast out into the deep. And Simon says, Lord, we have done this thing the fisherman's way. We've done it my way. We have fished all night and we have not caught anything. And yet he says, I'm not going to completely fall into the idea of believing that my way is the only way of solution. Learn from Peter. Learn from Peter. Learn from Peter, it's good to confess that maybe my way ain't the right way or my way has a shorting in it and I need to recognize God has a better way. And Peter says, nevertheless, at your direction, Lord, we going back out here and cast our nets. And you read the rest of the story. He throws his net out, as Jesus says, 
and he catches so many fish that he has to summon the other fishermen to come out with their boats and help drag the fish back to shore. The Bible says that Peter comes back and he is gravely disappointed and he looks to Jesus and says, I am not worthy because I recognize my shortcoming and I can't look up to you. And Jesus says, lift your head up. In fact, stand on your feet, square your shoulders, lift your eyes unto the hills from which come your help and realize I'm just teaching you in this lesson how to catch fish. But we're going to transition this one day into how to catch and be fishers of men. In other words, maybe God is trying to tell us that our way is contradictory to God's way because God is going to show us how whatever it is. Have you ever realized that even in the darkest moment there's a lesson of glory to be learned and that if I just watch God bring all things to work together for the good that somehow he teaches me a lesson in that moment that I may otherwise never have learned had it not been for the dark cloud over my head. He says that I have to realize that my way is not always the best way. I've got to come to recognize that I must admit sometimes that I'm being contrary and contradictory to the way of God. Give it up and do it God's way. Look at what he says in clause B. He says, Lord, verse 29, graciously grant me your word. In other words, Lord, show me in the word how I need to handle this thing. And that, I will contend, my brothers and sisters, is one of our most difficult hurdles to cross. To admit that I don't have it all together and that I haven't figured this thing out right. In fact, I can't always figure it out right, but that God has permitted me to be where I am so that I would have to trust him because God has a better way than I have. And when we come to admit that, God can do some great things. Thank God for help through his word that leads, as this psalmist says, to celebration. Now, how do I arrive at that? Look and follow me closely in the text. Because notice throughout this text, throughout this pericope, verse 25 through 32, this psalmist asks God four things. One, verse 25, clause B, he says, Lord, even though my soul cleaves to the dust, two words in clause B, revive me. Bring me back to life, God, where only your word can do so. Lift me back up. Move my soul from the dust back into the air that I might receive your glory. Listen to what he says. Revive me. If that's not a love, no, look at verse 26. Clause B. Teach me. So not only revive me, God, but teach me your word. Show me how in your word I can find direction and be faithful and experience the abundance of your joy. If that's not enough, look at verse 28, clause B. Strengthen me. You see that in the text? Strengthen me according to your word. Notice every clause is according to the word. Strengthen me, God, according 
to your word. You told me they that wait on you shall renew their strength. Strengthen me, God, that I might be strong in this point. Now, verse 29, then I'm done. Grant me. Grant me, God, favor according to your word. Peace according to your word. Comfort according to your word. Power according to your word. Understanding according to your word. Each notation is a request regarding the word of God because it's the help that we need to change our condition. Thank God for his help that comes through the word of God. Revive me. Teach me. Strengthen me. Grant me. The psalmist says, have a confession. Have a conviction. And recognize your contradiction or your contrariness. The psalmist says, when it comes to God's word, examine it. So you can learn from it. Examine it, he says. Examine it so you will find the victory that God has in store for you. Not only examine it, but the psalmist says, engage it. Get into the word so that God can give you what's in the word. Not only engage it, but he says, embrace it. Trust it. Weave it into your life so you can start bearing fruit and due season and then extract from it let your joy come out of the word of God so that no matter how dark the moment may be God's word will give you the light that you need this psalmist all through these 176 verses tells us over and over again there are days of light and there are days of darkness but he says, I'll tell you what, one thing I found consistent, the word of God is true, whether it's dark or light, whether it's good or bad, God's word will be your strength in the time of trouble. It will strengthen you. It will revive you. It will bring about the necessary granting that you need because God will teach you every single time. Thank God for help through the word of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.